Centuries of freedom have taught us to think in terms of continuous improvement of an always better future. Hey, Matt, and hello to everyone listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto podcast once again. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and I'm joined by my co-host, Austin Knight. So for all of our US listeners, we hope that you had a great Thanksgiving break last week. And for everyone else, we hope that you've had some other distraction to keep your eyes off the price (laughs) of Bitcoin right now. Yeah, uh, it's looking like Bitcoin is heading for its largest weekly loss since 2013. So that's a a drop of around 36% so far. That one hurts. (laughs) It, it it's a deep cut yeah. into, uh, into our accounts right now, um, but it's it's not just Bitcoin that's hurting, right? So as of Monday this week, when I look through quickly at some of the price data, uh, we've got Ethereum down nearly twenty five percent week over week. Uh, Ripple, so XRP, is down by pretty much the same as Ethereum. Then you got. Bitcoin Cash, EOS, Litecoin, they're all kind of roughly around the like 16 to 20% decrease. And Stellar is actually down over 30% week on week. Uh, so it's it's a bloodbath out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually, I thought this was quite funny, Austin. I, I opened up my Blockfolio app um, just last weekend, just to kind of like check the damage, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, each time I was trying to refresh, it just kept displaying an error message saying something's gone wrong. And it wouldn't display. <laughs> I was like, this is the most apt message for the situation right now. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, how was your how was your Thanksgiving, Austin? Did the topic of cryptocurrencies come up around the uh, the dinner table this year? You know, a little bit less than last year. It was a little more somber, I would say. (laughs) A little less enthusiastic. Just distant relatives asking where the hell their money's gone. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Luckily, I I prefaced every Thanksgiving conversation with, this is not financial advice like we do for this podcast. No, I I mean, I I don't know, man. I was lucky enough that I I told people around Thanksgiving uh, of last year, uh, basically the same advice that we were telling our listeners at the start of this show, which is uh, this is volatile. And even though we're on the up and up right now, you know, you can even look back several years and see the same patterns, uh, negative patterns that we're experiencing right now. These these have happened before. So only invest what you are comfortable with losing. And luckily, it seems that people heeded my advice there. <laughs> so, yeah, I. <laughs> I think that that's like the that's been the key. I I was very much the same with a lot of those conversations. Although my wife does enjoy to continuously say what an idiot I am, uh, but uh, <laughs> much to her delight, uh, which uh, which I'm sure she would be telling me anyway. But I think that was the key, right? Is like especially I do wonder of those people that first got into cryptocurrency around the kind of December boom. I think was it we were we were touching on this a couple of episodes ago, right? I think the the high of Bitcoin nineteen pretty much like nineteen and a half thousand USD. And a bunch of people probably got in 
around that time. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah, what will what are we looking at right now? I mean, just having a look at the price, I think it was like three and a half thousand USD. That's a pretty dramatic drop. And I the last time I remember it being close to those prices. Well, actually, to be fair, I think in like August time of 2017, before the Bitcoin cash fork, Bitcoin was still not far over one or two two thousand yeah. USD. Yeah, I actually, if I'm remembering correctly, I stopped buying in like October because it hit 2000, uh, mm. 2000 USD. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, like this is this is super, super high. I'm not buying anymore. <laughs> so yeah. I'm actually still I, I think I'm still technically positive on what I bought as, <laughs> as, as terrible as that is. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, even though we're feeling like a major hit in the price and um, for those that have been listening to us from the beginning, basically every single episode except for those in series one have been like, they've started with just this very sad message of, yeah, you know, we're in the red again. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get worse. And it probably still gets worse, right? Um, it's even like though- those really bad. Uh, I I listen to one of like my podcasts. I listen to is um, like a soccer podcast, right? A football mm-hmm. podcast, and uh, they have like a an, a segment where they do like a betting show so they'll do like some score predictions and like every week they come back and it's like. Yeah, we're in the red again. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's us right now. Just the the constant bearers of bad news. <laughs> well, one thing that was interesting, we were chatting a bit before before this episode, right, was I was looking back at some old uh, articles covering Bitcoin over the years, especially around times of drops. And uh, we'll, we'll link to this in the show notes. It was an article from uh, 2011, in October, and the, the the headline of the article is "Bitcoin implodes, falls more than ninety percent from June peak," and uh, that the first sentence, just to give scope uh, to to this, is "Bitcoin, the world's first peer to peer digital currency, fell below three dollars on Monday. That represents a ninety percent fall since the cryptocurrency hit its peak in early June." And it's, it goes on to say. Is Bitcoin doomed? Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I think those of you that uh, did and were lucky enough to go through that ninety percent dip and <laughs> held on, uh, you're probably in a still pretty good place right now. Yeah, I wish I could have been pulling my hair out reading that article back in 2013. <laughs> like, oh my god, did yeah. I did I make a terrible investment I, with my hundred dollars? <laughs> <laughs> certainly have a lot more hair now i think uh yeah <laughs> but yeah no it is always i think that's always something that's uh quite cathartic to look back at those kind of uh articles and i mean you you were saying that uh, i think you said near the start of the episode that this is like the the biggest weekly drop since 2013 right and while yeah. that's 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 a like a a large drop, thirty five percent week over week. There, there is a lot going on generally, which we touched on last week actually with the big tech market sell off. It seems like actually the start of this week there seems to be a bit more of a rally around some of the tech stocks. But when I, I think when you look at a lot of the things that have went on, another thing we talked about right last week, the Bitcoin Cash fork, which 
we'll follow up with uh, some extra information on that. It, it's been tough to find a silver lining uh, at the minute, but mm-hmm. putting it all into perspective, uh, I think that this is, we are very much deep, deep, deep into a bear market. And I think if you, if you wiped out all of the action that happened from even like October through to December of last year, and we looked at the price uh, right now, we probably wouldn't be worried at all about what's going on here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And Matt, I don't know if you remember, um, I think it was around this time last year that we were all in Boston and we were at dinner. Uh, it was during HubSpot's annual inbound uh, event. Mm. And we uh, we were talking to one of our coworkers who he had like 100 Bitcoins that he had bought. I think he said it was $27 a Bitcoin, um, the price at the time. And, it you know, Bitcoin had gone up to like several thousand dollars per token. Mm-hmm. And I remember us telling him like, hey, man, you know, you should sell off like a significant portion of that, you know, like at least sell 20 percent. That could be like a, a big you know, part of your retirement. Mm-hmm. And what he told us is he was like, you know, if, if I were going to sell that now, I would have sold it back when the price was at $200 mm-hmm. or $100 and I had doubled and tripled my investment. I didn't buy this as a store of wealth. I bought this because I believe fundamentally in the technology. And I think that everybody that uh, is in his position and came into this space with that mindset is still in a very happy place today because despite the craziness with the price, the technology is growing and maturing in a positive direction. And that, that's something that we'll, uh, we'll be able to touch on more here later in the episode. But I would say if there's a silver lining to any of this, it's that uh, the price was for, for the people that really understood this, it really wasn't the important part. The important part was the technology and the implications of that technology. And uh, that's in a better place than it's ever been. Yeah. And also having absolute balls of steel to do that, which I don't think I'd be able to do. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's insane. All right. Okay. We got a few interesting stories that uh, we're going to cover today. And the things that have primarily come up in the past week, there's been a few interesting little things in amongst the bloodbath that we've been uh, describing. But before we get into that, we do have uh, one quick ask from our listeners. Yeah. So once you finished up listening to this episode, it would be a huge help to us if you could leave us a review and a rating on your favorite podcasting platform. This actually helps us reach a lot more people and get a lot more listeners. So we'd really appreciate it if you could spend the one to two minutes doing this for us. Um, It's a huge part of what's allowed us to bring you this episode uh, here today. Yeah. And, you know, if you're feeling particularly generous, uh, you could tweet out a link to this week's episode, share on Facebook, whatever you prefer. If you have friends, family that are curious about blockchain, they have no idea where to start, share the podcast with them. And hey, you know, if if they or even yourself have any specific questions, you can always reach out to us via email. Uh, you can email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. All right. On that note, why don't we jump in to this week's news? Okay, so the first story that we have, which actually brings a little bit more optimism to 
some of the conversation that we've had so far is from Overstock. If any of you have listened to, I think maybe our first series we touched on, some of the stuff that Overstock have been doing, uh, the Overstock um, CEO, Patrick Byrne, has been a longtime advocate of cryptocurrency. And they've now said that they are actually planning on completely selling the, their, their retail business by February to focus exclusively on crypto. <laughs> so they've, they've been dabbling with blockchain in a few different ways, but this is like a two decade old e-commerce business. And the, the, it, for all intents and purposes, like there was nothing overly special about Overstock as a, as a company. And all of a sudden, especially last year, they kind of became a sexy, interesting stock and an interesting company that, that turned around the fortunes of the company almost just by backing uh, Bitcoin in particular. Um, but there was an interesting comment that that Patrick Byrne made in that Wall Street Journal article that that we were reading Austin right yeah he said quote we think we've got cold fusion on the blockchain side and as a result <laughs> <laughs> yeah very interesting um, as a result the overstock uh, stock has actually surged over 26 percent since that quote. So hmm. yeah, I, I think you make a great point there, Matt. Like you've got a, a, a 20 year old e-commerce business that is taking a hard shift into blockchain technology. And it seems that even in the midst of a sort of down tech stock uh, economy, the uh, mm-hmm. their stock has surged because of the decision that they've made here. Yeah. I mean, the Overstock, a company that originally was set up, I think, is it 1999? I think I remember making a note of this. Um, and they were they were set out just to focus on selling goods like furniture, jewelry, and uh, odd bits and bobs on the internet, right? And now they're building out multiple blockchain startups that are all going to be run through um, an Overstock subsidiary, and they are pretty much putting all of their eggs in one basket. Now, one thing I would just uh, add to all of this, though, while Overstock's um, stock price has been shooting up 26%, right, since this uh, announcement, it it is down like 66% this year. (laughs) You can pretty much track that against Bitcoin's price uh, just because of how much the the company and the leadership team at Overstock have been really advocating blockchain technology. If you uh, if you funnily enough, if you actually overlay Bitcoin's price with their stock price, it tracks the line very accurately. So I I, I found that kind of interesting. Whether that's just kind of coincidence or not, that's uh that's another thing. But one thing that I would just kind of f- finalize out on there is I do think it's very positive still that companies even though we're plummeting and plummeting in in price are still very much dedicated to pushing forward with the technology of blockchain and um big companies public companies are remaining bullish on it yeah um there was another news story that came up which is a similar kind of optimistic piece of news and actually it this really surprised me 
And this was that the state of Ohio have just announced they're going to become the first US state to accept tax payments in Bitcoin. I, that that really surprised me in, in all honesty, just that they would do that around with all this negative PR for everyday consumers. Yeah, yeah. It's super interesting. And they've even uh, set up a site that you can go to at ohiocrypto.com. Uh, to that's sort of learn also about side this. note. That sounds like the the most shadiest website in existence. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it is. It is interesting that it's not like a tied to like like Ohio.gov, like, yeah. like maybe like crypto.ohio.gov or something like that. Or you would just go through like your normal whatever their normal tax site is. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's <laughs> just me as well. Like just the word crypto, like for an official state thing. Yeah. I, I, we were talking about this a little bit, uh, I think two episodes ago, where a load of companies have even started ditching the word blockchain because it's uh, from like their products and their companies um, because of the fact that it's almost being associated with something a bit lower end. But like crypto, ohiocrypto.com. I don't know. I feel like that's the kind of thing that I get like a robo call from telling me to just go and like call, uh, visit this website and enter my card details. Uh, like it just seems yeah. bizarre. I agree. I would say that like whatever, you know, data has been collected on negative and scammy sentiment toward the word blockchain, you can 10x that for the word crypto which is so sad because it has other meanings yeah but um yeah it, it is a little bit of a weird move to me to see that it's like a dot com uh tld and that it has yeah. crypto in it because that sounds i mean that's literally something that just anybody could register but right. that aside uh you can go to ohiocrypto.com and they have a how it works page where you can kind of learn about how a state government is now prepared to accept tax payments in Bitcoin. Very interesting. Yeah, and this is all going to be, I think it's started from today. And today when we are recording is uh, Monday of this week. So uh, from the time you're listening right now, like a few days ago. Um, and in an official statement, they said starting Monday, businesses in Ohio will be able to pay their taxes in Bitcoin, um, making the states that's, uh, making the state that's high in the middle and round on both ends the first in the nation to accept cryptocurrency officially. And honestly, like any company that wants to do this can just go take part in the program. They just go to ohiocrypto.com, register up. It seems like I was looking through the site. It seems like you just get an account, register, and you can pay as much of uh, your your business taxes as you want through um, through Bitcoin right now. So interesting. Um, we'll we'll see if many other states follow suit. I'd be really interested to know how, like, what the percentage of taxpayers utilize crypto payments um, over the yeah. next few tax years as well. Uh, yeah, and I I imagine that whoever is you know behind this in the state government will be watching to see how many businesses take this up as a bit of a proxy to understand how many individuals. Uh, may be interested in something like this as well. Um, mm -hmm. So interesting space to watch. Yeah. 
Definitely. I can only imagine the admin that's going to be involved with that. Uh, but yeah, good luck to them. And uh, fair play to Ohio for actually putting their, their neck on the line and adopting yeah. something early on. Because I think, especially now, while probably the amount of companies that take up that opportunity will be a bit lower, um, it'll be good to like figure out what's not quite working um, so that they can move forward with it. Lower lower risk test scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think we'd be we'd be remiss not to mention some updates on the Bitcoin Cash fork, right? That we yeah. discussed in great detail during last episode. There has been a number of updates, more and more drama, but um we'll we'll share out some articles in the show notes. But I don't know, Austin, do we want to just give like a very brief overview of like what has uh what's come up, especially in the past couple of days within this battle between Bitcoin SV and Bitcoin ABC? Yeah, so basically, if you remember when we were talking about that battle between Bitcoin ABC and Bitcoin SV, we were looking to understand how many nodes would support each side of the split. And it was looking like Bitcoin ABC was winning. And then now Bitcoin SV has basically conceded that it will not become BCH, which is like the sort of official Bitcoin cash, the the blockchain that will carry on as Bitcoin cash. And Mm -hmm. it will instead go in a different direction as BSV. So billionaire, entrepreneur, and Bitcoin cash SV supporter Calvin Ayer, who also owns cryptocurrency news outlet CoinGeek actually published an article on the site that explained the decision to move separate ways. It's a good read. We'll we'll link to it in the description. But one of the quotes from the article was, quote, Bitcoin SV is the original Bitcoin, not the original Bitcoin cash. Um, so, so, yeah. uh, okay. Well, yeah. Good job on conceding. Uh. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that basically we, you know, we expected this to be a little bit weird, right? Just because yeah. of like the the kind of pretenses that SV was working around. If you recall us uh, saying SV actually stands for Satoshi's vision. So there was always a little bit of animosity here. Um, (laughs) And I think that that's uh, that's being expressed pretty clearly. So Bitcoin SV conceded, perhaps not, you know, in um, the most predictable or classy way possible. But at this point, it's probably fair to say that Bitcoin ABC has won the battle between the two. Uh, But it remains to be seen what the long-term impact on both projects will be. So there's still a a lot to be called here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we're talking about the the hash war uh, from last week's episode around this, I I think it's fair to say Bitcoin ABC has definitely won that piece. That said, uh, this is not the end of bitcoin sv by any stretch of the imagination um that will they it seems like they're now going to treat this as a separate project they like many other random ass projects deem themselves as the original bitcoin so yeah i'm sure it's not going to be the last we hear of bitcoin sv 
but um, it's probably the last amount of thought that I will personally be putting into either of those two projects. Uh, it seems like more drama than actually wanting to contribute positively to the the, the, the community. But at least it gives us some uh, small-scale comedy for us to enjoy in the moments <laughs> of craziness. All right, so that's pretty much where we're at with the Bitcoin Cash stuff. I'm sure there's going to be more uh, developments over the coming uh, weeks. We'll make sure that we cover those. But one one last topic that we did want to take a bit of a dive into um, that actually came up with one of our recent je- uh, one of our recent guests, um, Jerry Cuomo, uh, the VP of Blockchain at IBM. If you didn't listen to that episode definitely go back. It was a couple of episodes ago. Listen to that. Uh, IBM are doing a ton of interesting stuff in the blockchain space. But one of the things that Jerry mentioned was uh, blockchain for good, right? And there's been an interesting story that come up in Forbes um, a little bit around this as well. Yeah, yeah. So we we like lightly touched on this concept of blockchain for good when we were talking to Jerry, and I know that Matt and I, after we ended that episode, that was something that we were both thinking like, it, it would be interesting to actually dive into this and understand what the implications for, for from this sort of blockchain for good movement could be. Um, and there is this interesting opinion piece that we'll link to in the description that was published on Forbes. Um, basically, what the author is poking at is that the idea that in the same way that blockchain tech could revolutionize things like the banking and financial markets or insurance or healthcare or government, it also has the potential to dramatically impact nonprofit organizations. Mm. Um, Interestingly, there was a recent study by Accenture, which was titled Blockchain for Good. So I think that this is becoming like a proper term. Yeah, yeah, here we go. I know. Um, (laughs) they, They identified four mission critical challenges that social innovation organizations face today. Uh, The first being affordability, the second being accountability, the third being reliability, and the fourth being marketability. Mm. Now, personally, I think that accountability is perhaps the most interesting one for us to impact. And also, I think it's also I think it's also the one that people worry about the most um, when yeah. they are vetting a charity or thinking about making a donation because charities sort of face this age-old problem of inefficient and corrupt aid distribution. Right, Matt? Yeah, the this is this is definitely something where it falls into the the lap of where blockchain technology is being touted as a great technical solution and accountability in charitable work. Um, I think that actually another uh, person that's doing a lot of like blockchain for good work is uh, Brian Armstrong, the um, CEO of Coinbase. I think he has his own personal project that's focused around like this blockchain for good uh, side of things but a, a really good example of this actually is around the um the the 2010 earthquake in Haiti where more than 500 million dollars were donated by people in the US uh, to the American Red Cross and i remember uh, probably some of you listening now will remember this huge story that uh, broke out it was like an investigation by NPR that happened only a few years ago actually i think it was like 2015 yeah. and actually found that large sums of this 500 million US dollars that was donated by individuals and companies all the way through the US never even made its way to Haiti. 
There was like entire housing projects that were supposedly built with these funds. NPR visited them and they didn't exist. That that is horrendous, right? Yeah, it, it's it's awful. I, I I just and who who's accountable? It's yeah. it's so difficult to trace that back. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I really do think that this is the accountability fear that we face. And if you think about it, like we're talking about housing projects here, right? So that's like painfully mm. obvious. A building is either there or it's not. But <laughs> for the rest of those funds, which officially went into other things like immediate relief, food, water sanitation, or other, you know, initiatives that the Red Cross had broke out, we don't really definitively know where they were used. Um, you can think of other cases like this. Like there was another super high profile story that came out of the New York Times where they broke open these cases of several cancer charities in mm. the U.S., which had collectively received $187 million in donations, and then following federal lawsuits accusing them of using as little as 3% of the funds on actual charitable initiatives, they wow. were uh, shut down. Yeah, so uh, that, this is... That is just like, it, it blows my mind. Just like, all of this still on side, the... the the morals of the individuals involved with doing like stuff like this doesn't happen by mistake. And it, when someone is going to just straight up screw over like cancer charities, cancer patients, right? Like there's two things that have to happen. One, you've got to be completely willing to have, horrendous morals on an individual level but two there also needs to be a relatively easy way of being able mm-hmm. to get away with this stuff and it seems like the perfect storm of this within our current system has been able to happen yeah absolutely and then this this is even just like assuming that the charities themselves you know are are illegitimate which is a, a fair minority mm of the 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 cases where fraud is uncovered in uh charitable like the chain of where charitable donations go right you can still run into problems with local mm-hmm. uh politicians warlords uh fully centralized governments the businesses and contractors that these charities use so even if like the intentions are pure at the charity level um which is the majority of the time it's much easier for this stuff to break down at the local level um and that is where you know uh, a lot of competing interests can come in to steal as much aid as possible and then accountability totally starts to break down because it's like if you can't even expect this to be properly tracked and checked and balanced um, within the charity itself, how are you going to track the funds once they officially exit the charity? And and this is precisely why resources like Charity Navigator are so popular today, because they attempt to hold charities accountable for how they use their funds. And then they make that information transparent to donors, which like you would intuitively think that like any 501c3, you know, registered nonprofit organization would have to make all of this stuff so transparent that it would almost be crippling to them. I mean, you do your taxes once and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, how, how is this, this not <laughs> the same treatment not being applied to, um, charities in terms of what's, what's happening with donations. But, uh, of course, you know, organizations like Charity Navigator do have to exist in order to make that information fully transparent and sort of get through the, uh, the noise to find the signal and the truth about how the money is being used. 
Yeah, maybe the warlords didn't give them any receipts, so then they <laughs> yeah. couldn't track this back. <laughs> That's maybe where the issue here is. Those those damn <laughs> warlords and their old systems. Uh, this does remind me, um, not warlords at all, um, this conversation reminds me of when we were chatting in series two, I think it was um, episode nine, and we talked with Colin Stewart, uh, who is uh, one of the directors at Producers Token. If you remember the platform that was really focused around like supply chain management and tracking the the source of ingredients all the way through from like where they were grown, where they were produced, and all the way through until when they're being sold to consumers. Um, kind of like true accountability from farm to table. The, the exact same applies here. And I think, arguably, this could be even easier because a lot of it is being tracked within a liquid asset, i.e. like yeah. a charitable cash donation. And I think that's where blockchain technology could come in and and really help this out. Like you can imagine going in, making a donation, having a dashboard, and you can actually see exactly where your funds are, how they're being used. Like that's the kind of thing that that you that you want to have. You want to know that like just let, let's just take accountability out of this. You want to know like what impact your donation has had. I think that like a lot mm-hmm. of people want to know that. Like not to say like that's the only reason why people will do it, but you do kind of want to close the loop there and know, hey, I, I donated this money and I really want to know that it went to good and it helped someone or a group of people. So I think there's there's a real good way that that can be done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and some charities are actually already heading in this direction. So there's a fund called, uh, a philanthropic fund called Pineapple Fund that has donated around 41 million pounds of Bitcoins to charitable organizations, including those that are providing clean water and protecting rights. And all of these donations, it stresses, can be verified from uh, the origin all the way to uh, where they were utilized. Um, Another example, St. Mungo's, which is a charity tackling homelessness in the UK, actually uses blockchain to allow donors to track where their donations are spent. And I think, Matt, you make a great point there. You know, not only do you want to make sure that your funds are being used correctly, but you do want to understand the impact of your funds. This is why, for example, um, if you, there's a, a bunch of like, charitable organizations that work with orphanages or um, solving world mm-hmm. hunger and or, or with pets, you know, like uh, home yep. pet shelters, where if you donate to them, they'll send you like a picture of a child or a picture of a pet that you sponsored and you helped. You want to understand the impact. And that's kind of interestingly how it appears that St. Mungo's is using this here. And sort of taking that a little bit further, there's actually a platform called Disperse, which is aiming to offer this as a service to any charity. So here we have another oh, wow. SaaS startup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because that's all we needed, yeah. more SaaS companies. <laughs> but I, I actually, this is one that I welcome with open yeah, arms. 100%. Because, um, you know, it kind of, it, it removes the burden um, on, you know, charities. Mm-hmm. I, I, I myself used to run a 501c3 and the, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when you are distributing funds um, and and you're thinking, you know, am I going to put this money into 
uh, an IT budget to like build an infrastructure for, for people to like track their funds? Or am I going to put this money into the field to actually make yeah. a difference? Um, that becomes a fairly easy decision, right? At least for like somebody that cares. And yeah, and then definitely. what what inevitably happens is that like all of the IT infrastructure gets neglected. Um, and so a lot of these charities, they don't have the ability to invest in creating a platform that would allow you to literally track, you know, from point A to point Z, uh, where your funds are going and how they're being utilized. So I love the idea of, of sort of, you know, making this into a layer that you can just build on top of your pre-existing donation system. Uh, no excuses, you know? Um, and then yeah. this, this gets super interesting when you have organizations like Give Directly, which are, are taking this another step forward further, and they're letting donors actually transfer funds straight to individuals and families in the developing world. So you kind of hear like wow, this common. I love that. Yeah, I know. Um, you, you hear like this common sentiment. I, I it's live such in a, uh, such a cool idea. Yeah, it, it, re it really is. Um, so living in San Francisco, like we have a, a fairly large homeless population. Um, and interestingly, I know a lot of people that will say like, you know, I prefer to give money to the person directly rather than to a charity purely because of like trust and accountability issues. But like anybody actually working with these people will tell you that that's actually a mistake um, because yes. you you especially don't like, especially when you do that, you, you don't really understand where your funds are going. Um, but the problem yep. still exists, right? And that's where I think give directly is kind of towing this interesting line there where maybe you could donate responsibly responsibly directly to an individual very interesting yeah i think like one of the big things i i often struggled with this and i remember me and my wife talking about this quite a bunch uh when i i used to live in the uk i would i i would always give money directly to people that were homeless on the street and uh and actually did that instead of giving to charities and it wasn't until like i sat down my wife kind of like really talked through because i was like how can that be a bad thing right like mm -hmm. uh giving directly to people but really the the charity's role there is to manage and control and be able to understand like what people have what what people need what and also be able to make sure that like people are being able to get enough of what they need from day to day, like, and funds are being like utilized responsibly. Like if you gave 50 bucks to one person, that's probably not the best way to deal with a situation where you've got like 2000 homeless people, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could distribute those funds much better in a way that like, even if you have a personal connection with this individual, like if you're really trying to, solve a problem around homelessness it, there's better ways to do that i actually didn't know about saint mungo's as well because uh, it's a really popular charity in the uk i had no idea that they were using blockchain uh to to track donations i'm definitely going to check that out uh myself but i do think that this is something where i feel very passionate about blockchain technology and where i think that there is hope in the future that these the, this technology and these companies that are entering the space to enable the use of the technology really do embody this whole field of what we're calling now blockchain for good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, well, I think that that was a nice way to end out this week's episode. We will make sure that we keep you up to date with all of the ongoings in the 
war around Bitcoin Cash in the coming weeks. I'm sure there's going to be more drama coming up. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, whatever you do, don't check the price of Bitcoin. And we'll see you next (laughs) Friday for another episode of the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode and want to show both myself and Austin your appreciation, we'd love it if you could spend some of your time adding a quick review on the iTunes store or your favorite podcasting platform. You can also check out and visit us at thecoinoffering.com. Follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering. And you know what? You want to just shoot us a quick email, chat to us, make suggestions, tell us how terrible we are. Send us an email at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. Thanks, and hope you enjoy the next episode. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.